For September 16th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 272, Grand Theft Auto, watching people play for more than a decade. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From an undersea wonderland somewhere on New York's east side, I'm Matthew Rather. <laughs> Literally, there is a tortoise over my shoulder. He's eyeing me. What are you looking at, Mr. Tortoise? He's got fins, uh, flippers, and he's paddling along. No, uh... This is uh, this is the podcast, and I'm here in the same room with three quarters of the panel and one quarter uh, via the miracle of Skype. That's you, Pete. Oh, miracle of Skype! Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yes, absolutely. This is a partially co-located podcast following the technical uh, term is meat space Matt. yeah, yeah right, right exactly uh we're podcasting partially irl owing to a, a trip back east that my girlfriend and i took this week so you're and not on the bleeding edge of america no 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 i'm on the trailing edge of america and i already feel things like uh you know you you apparently just got chipotle over here so you know Gosh, that was wait, that was yeah. nice eating at that Chipotle. It's still uh, a thing there. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, can I, can I ask a question, a pertinent question? You talk about this the bleeding edge and trailing edge a lot. Does that mean that the United States is sliding along like a slug, like leaving a blood trail across the earth? Is that when, when like the <laughs> like Los Angeles continental drift? That's probably yeah. literally true. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Well, Pete, in a way, aren't we all sliding <laughs> along like a slug? No. Maybe what I trail. what I mean by that. I mean, two things by that. One is that we get everything in California 10 years about, uh, 10 years about before New York gets it. But then New York blogs about it a lot. So suddenly it's the, you know, uh, New York style smoking ban in restaurants. Never mind that, that, you know, a dozen years before we were, we were banning cigarettes before it was cool. Uh, or when smoking was still cool, I, I guess. The other thing I mean is that, uh, um, that we are slicing through the world like a fine-edged knife, and that our leading edge is so sharp that it draws blood as it traverses the culture, the soft tissue of the culture, penetrating underneath into the overthinking it that lies beneath. Yeah. I like my interpretation better, which is that in printing... Uh, there's a part of the page called the bleed, and that is the part that you cut off. <laughs> and in fact, like plate tectonics will do that to most yeah. of Southern California <laughs> before too long. Yep, that's why I'm going. That's why I've already reserved the rights to Otisburg, which is going to be beachfront <laughs> property. It's an itty bitty place. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Um, so this is this is the panel. Um, and we're, we're IRL. So, panel, your question in honor of some news that happened this week where we learned that the head of the NSA has had a uh, – you know what? I have, to, yeah, I have to do the voice. I think it's called the Data Domination Center. Uh, <laughs> information domination. Oh, yeah. Information domination. I thought that was a block of cartoons on Fox on Saturday nights. Well, this is the best place to watch them. Oh, no, 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 wait. That's animation domination. Yeah. <laughs> there's, well, there's a bunker for that, too, somewhere. Yeah. Like, it's Seth MacFarlane's house. 
<laughs> yes, for our information domination, uh, the um, the head of the NSA, whose name is Keith Alexander, had a uh, had a what an office, I guess, constructed a uh, a nerve center for uh, U.S. intelligence. I mean, you know, mostly spying on law-abiding Americas, but also, I suppose, some counterterrorism work as, as yeah, well. Yeah, they have spare time after spying <laughs> on all the Americans. After collating the metadata from all of our cell phone calls and figuring out, you know, who the undesirables are. Um, had this uh, nerve center uh, room office built with computer displays and a large, large wall display and kind of a central chair. And uh, it was built to resemble the bridge from the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek. And there is an article uh, from The Verge that... uh, Well, it was part of the Snowden leaks, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, but uh, Foreign Policy, I believe, was the one that that broke the story, to give proper credit to them. Oh, great. So, via The Verge. From this source, we learned that... that uh, this this magical place, this mystical wonderland, was constructed. So, panel, your question: uh, What television show or film uh, should the NSA nerve center, information domination center? Uh, <laughs> what what TV show? What social? What cultural property? I nearly said social media property. Uh, but no, don't choose one of those. What uh, popular cultural property should the uh, nerve center of the NSA have been constructed after? Sitting on my right, it's Matthew Belinky. Um, all right, here's the deal. So presumably, the reason why they picked the Starship Enterprise is because um, people people at the NSA, they're, they're nerds, right? And everybody wants to like take turns being Picard, right? So they sit. Although I would, I would personally like to do some Wesley Crusher cosplay, um, but that's that's more just me working out issues. It's just a game, Matt. Um, so here's the deal: I would really like them to build a nerve center that resembles uh, the Bronze from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Bronze, of course, being the nightclub where they all hung out, despite the fact that for the majority of the show's run, they were underage. Uh, presumably, it's like a sixteen and up club. Um, no, here's the deal. Obviously, it, from a tactical point of view, the Bronze is not a great data center. It doesn't have any screens at all. I'm not even sure it has three-prong outlets. But what it does have is a stage for LA's greatest indie rock bands to play. Uh, if you, I've I got a, a web page up with a list of some of the bands that perform there, such as Amy Mann, uh, Michelle Branch, Garbage, Nerf Herder, and of course, uh, Dingo's Ain't My Baby, which is the fictional band uh, starring uh, Seth Green as Oz, uh, lo- the lovable werewolf. So here's the deal. I feel like the indie rock scene is is uh, it's falling upon hard times. It's harder and harder to get radio play, and I think that having a, a gig where like up and coming bands could play for the director of the NSA while they're while they're screening through our data and violating all our privacy would be like a win win. Like it would be great exposure for the bands, um, and it would I think it would it would take some of the stress off of spying on on their friends and neighbors. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's uh, also music helps you concentrate, doesn't it? As you're crunching numbers, as you're staring at a computer screen. Do you find that? Do you work with music when you're working? I get very distracted. I work with, um, I I tend to listen to Miles Davis. Okay. Because words distract me, so it needs to be like jazz. Non-vocal music. So I'll just, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say the name of the the Miles Davis album. So it's it's a sort of a brew. It's a kind of a brew that I'm not allowed to say on this podcast. And I like to listen to it when I need to, when I really need to get stuff done. Absolutely. 
Uh, Pete Fenzel, next to hey. me off of that. Hey, <laughs> I can't see you, but it's like I'm imagining that you are this microphone in front of me. Exactly. When there were only three sets of podcast footprinters, that was when I was <laughs> Skyping you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, um, so I mean, I, I got went through a lot of thoughts for this one and I kind of, it's, it's hard to be relatively early in the alphabet because I don't want to take ideas away from people. Although I, I will say that it would be pretty nice if they went with King Kai's planet from Dragon Ball Z, but I always go with Is Dragon Ball Z. that a really, really small planet that has like just a house and a tree? Yeah, and a classic car. <laughs> exactly. It's a house and a tree and a classic car okay. and it has 10 times the Earth's gravity. Where's he going to drive to though? He just drives in a circle. He loves driving. He has a road that goes goes around the equator of his little planet. Um, but I felt like this A was just kind of lazy because I, I like Dragon Ball Z and I'll say it about anything. And also B, it wasn't aspirational enough. Like like Dragon Ball Z is is has a portrayal of supreme intellectual authority that's very satirical and it tries to make you feel more comfortable about the world having institutions in them because they're all like crazy blue aliens and monkeys. Um, but I don't really feel like we need to make apologies for the NSA. I feel like we need the NSA to be better than it is, which means that we need them to have a nerve center where they can learn and grow and really kind of get to the heart of their really pressing issues. Because the NSA has a lot of difficult issues that they have to deal with right now, which is why for me, the ideal information domination site for the NSA is a small pier extending out onto a creek where, uh, uh. where Katie Holmes will be waiting for them to bear <laughs> their souls. <laughs> uh, I don't want to wait for our lives to be... Uh, yeah, I want, I want so yeah, the NSA's Creek, Dawson's Creek, is where I would choose for the NSA. And they could all just work off yeah. iPads. They don't need like large computer consoles. They could just use mobile. Or they could just cry. They could set up an elaborate... <laughs> the, the, the creek itself would be liquid phase microcomputers with quantum hard drives that could uh, respond and, co- and code uh, cryptography data and analysis uh, based serial- sim- simply off of tears. What I would like uh, to see if, if this were the case, I'd like to imagine that like, if I text someone I care about and they don't text me back, like, I like to think that there is an NSA technician, uh, cryptographer or something listening to that and getting really offended on my behalf. Like, <laughs> why hasn't Joey texted Pacey back? You know, that, that, that they like, uh, not only observe all of our stories, but get involved in a, you know, in an emotional way in our stories. I hope they place bets. I always used to joke because I do work in the financial industry. I do, I do. I used to joke a lot that like the various regulators would someday like scoop up all my emails and they learn a lot about spooning from them. Like whether it should be big spoon, whether it should be little spoon, is jetpack an acceptable alternative? If the small spoon is bigger than the big spoon, Wait, uh, what is what is jetpack? Jetpacking is when the little spoon is t- is tiny and holds <laughs> onto the top of the big spoon. Well, so like you have a big. So normally when you have it's, a tall it's person, a, it's a short. It's a recumbent piggyback position. Yeah, kind exactly. Of. You're, you're piggybacking, but you're on your side. Right. Uh, oh. So, oh, so somebody has to be the jetpack. Well, yeah, because because it's hard to call someone the big spoon when they're physically smaller. Gotcha. Right. And so, like, if the larger, if the sort of larger concave object is nested within the smaller concave <laughs> object, uh, then it's the jetpack because they might hold on closer to your neck and shoulders rather than around your butt, which would no, be okay. like, not All so right. good. In which, case, in which case, they would be a fanny pack. Well, that's true. That's very true. At this point, I think we should just devote the rest of the podcast to the topic of spooning and naming these different <laughs> positions. So, okay, b- before we actually get back to whatever the hell it is we're going to podcast about, I need to know more about this phrase, the jetpack. Is this actually a term of art? Yeah, did you this come up phrase? with Did you this? coin this, Pete? No, I didn't coin it. 
Um, although I'm surprised, it's I would classify it in the same realm as uh, spicy-handed gunplay, the Hong Kong action term, at least in terms of my circles. And that, like, when I heard it, I thought it was something that everybody knew. But every time I say it, it turns out nobody else has ever heard it before. <laughs> so, now, of course, you guys know what spicy-handed gunplay is, right, Matt? We do indeed. Yeah, yeah. Blinky, explain what spicy-handed gunplay it's, is. It's a style of, uh, of, of I, I believe in, in uh, Call of Duty terms, it would be called akimbo. <laughs> but it, it means uh, you have a gun in each hand. It's very much popularized by the John Woo films of the 1990s. Yes, exactly. So when Chow Yun-Fat is sliding sideways on a dinner cart in a dim sum restaurant, like firing <laughs> in both directions with pistols in slow motion, that's that's spicy hand. Yeah. That's, it's I, a sub, sub-genre. I actually first learned this. This is a true piece of trivia. That the, the famous John Woo movie, Hard Boiled, is not called anything resembling Hard Boiled in Chinese. The closest literal translation to that title is Spicy-Handed God of Cops. Nice. <laughs> and I don't know uh, where they came up with hard boils. And yeah, uh, I wonder if that's. I wonder if that was part of the like joke in God of Cookery when Stephen Chow made God of Cookery uh, that it was not. He was not a god of cops. He was a, a god, god of, of cookery. cookery. Yeah, because he has spicy handed. Oh, yeah. He's, well, yeah. I mean, if he's been mixing up the chili peppers or something. Yeah. If, if you guys, by the way, I, let's just assume that we're the only people listening to the podcast and see God of Cookery. <laughs> Everybody needs to see God of Cookery, which is yes. it's very fu- it's it's the kind of thing where like you realize you're missing a bunch of the jokes because you did not grow up in communist China. But nevertheless, <laughs> the jokes that you do get are amazing. <laughs> it's I, it's a superior movie as far as I'm concerned to Shaolin Soccer, though Shaolin Soccer is a great movie. That's like saying, you know, I don't know, would you like a back rub or a long hug? <laughs> <laughs> right back to the question of the week, which is uh, uh, both of those things can be provided from a spoon situation. By the way, <laughs> either back or long. Would you like, yeah, would you like a regular? Would you like the standard spoon, or would you like the jet pack? So fanny packs are generally worn in the front, not in the back. <laughs> anyway, there's also missed segue opportunities there, Matt. Oh. Like speaking of spicy hands, speaking of Asian stuff. <laughs> By the way, if you haven't seen John Woo's Hard Boiled, you, you should see that movie. There's Asian people in it. Speaking of Asian people, okay, there we go. Mark Lee. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so from what I understand, like one of the reasons why this information dominance center was constructed like the bridge of the Enterprise is they needed something fancy to show like dignitaries and congressmen and people that would uh, that were funding the NSAs. They're like, oh, this is awesome. This is our taxpayer dollars put to good use fighting terrorism and whatnot. Uh, the problem I see with this though is that a lot of what the NSA's you know in data mining operation is is not particularly visual. I mean, so you have like a big screen there right and um there's not a lot of interesting stuff to look at um and so i figured like well let's just sort of dispense with all the pretense of having you know a, a, a sort of a quasi-military operation where like there's actual stuff to see on the screen and uh just go straight to something that's actually visually interesting to do so i think they should model the next uh Domination Information Center on the strip club from The Sopranos. And you, just, you know, and you the just bada like bang, a, bada yeah. bang. So when, <laughs> so when, so when visiting congressmen come by, they can just watch strippers while the NSA tells them about all the good stuff they're doing to protect uh, our national security and, and sift through data. Because you know that has nothing to do with what the NSA actually does, but it's interesting to look at, and therefore the NSA will continue to receive funding and protect us. 
Believe it or not, Congress is slightly more uh, gender diverse than the cast of The Sopranos was. <laughs> so, <laughs> ever so slightly. Ever so marginally. Ever so slightly. Uh, so what would happen if somebody who was female and or did not like to watch strippers due to either a sexual identity or like a personal choice? I mean, would there be – would you have other sets from The Sopranos that you could take yeah. them to in an emergency? I think just whoever the hunkiest members of the NSA is. And I realize that you were – that's a very relative term but it's like you have them on call for the rare occasions where you need male strippers it's like you uh, stop stop doing your 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 regressions stop doing your analysis we need you to we need you to get to the locker room and, and get in the thong it would be great if they were <laughs> like if, if, Steen is gonna be here in a half hour if they were super secret strippers that no one else got to see and like that was part of the the joy of getting the nsa assignment was that it was like top secret classified yeah. uh strippers I don't like strippers, um, not personally. Like I no, have a problem. I mean, with them you, you like them as it's because you like them as people that you don't like the fact that they have to. Serve. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I do not think a person should have to do that job. <laughs> Come yeah. on, just because she dances go go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's also because they patronize you and pretend to be your friend, and they clearly don't mean it, and you clearly don't want it. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. It so, matter. I mean, let thought experiment here. Would you have theoretically a problem with a stripper who was disdainful? Uh, of you the whole time while providing whatever service, uh, you know, whatever sort of dancing or, you know, contact uh, this uh, performer provided, uh, they were like really mean to you and said terrible things to you. Would that ease your, your discomfort somewhat? Well, I mean, I would feel less guilty about being there, but I still wouldn't enjoy myself. <laughs> it's kind of a no-win. It's kind of a no-win yeah. situation. It's a Kobayashi thing. Maru, if you will. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, anyone who wants to to uh, start a strip club called the Kobayashi Maru, hey, good luck because right. no one no one will come. No, I, th- I think it's actually a great title because it's the kind of place where like you really want to hook up with the strippers, but it cannot be done. <laughs> no, there's no possible way to win in that scenario. But it's the question: How do you conduct yourself in the no-win scenario of going to the strip club? Actually, that's that's very interesting because I mean, you know, the the point of without. Uh, Without detailed special circumstances or any kind of moral framework at all, I think I can make the positive claim that the point of a strip club is to see nudity, right? Is to see unclothed members of whatever uh, whatever sex is on display. Um, so, uh, right, like, I think the Kobayashi Maru, the impossible strip club, is would be a PG-13 strip club <laughs> where you know that the dancers are naked but they're always just covered by there's like furniture in front of them there's all like, the time there's like just venetian blinds behind you know behind and in front of and around every table and like uh, well placed ferns you know uh, all all kinds of things so that whatever angle you went to look from you actually could not see any actual nudity also at every 15 minutes the strippers receive a distress call from the neutral zone <laughs> you think oh they're going to like move from behind the furniture and they're going to be able to see things but no you still don't get to see them so, there's no sex in the Jeffrey's tube, folks. There's no <laughs> sex in the Jeffrey's tube. No, but apparently you do. Well, I don't know. Uh, Pete like Picard uh did the uh got it on with the head of stellar cartography uh after playing his little flute 
right? And and then of course when they when they uh, broke up, she had to leave the Enterprise or something I mean, because you know that's how we roll. I've, you guys have heard me uh, my rant about the, the the poor HR policies of the Enterprise. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, begins yeah. but doesn't end with the fact that they have like a kindergarten on board, despite the fact that they're nearly they're blown up on at least in every other episode basis. Uh, Matt, I think you still need to answer the question. Oh yeah. But before you answer the question, I just want to point out that we've created an amazing event diagram, which uh, we are in the center of the intersection between uh, a circle for the NSA, uh, the Sopranos, strip clubs, and Star Trek. Yep. This is the best Venn diagram of all time, and we are we are the the single point convergence of all of those uh, <laughs> of all of those areas. So I'm I'm going to say that I I think science fiction was right. But I think the the franchise was wrong, or rather the property, because the one I'm going to name isn't a franchise. Um, the most impressive uh, bridge I have ever seen is the the bridge uh, presided over by a little man, literally a little little man named Darth Helmet, uh, and that's the bridge <laughs> in Mel Brooks' film Spaceballs. Yeah. Right, that they have row upon row of just uh, you know military-looking guys staring at screens the whole the whole way. They have the boop 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 boop. You know, they have literal jam. I don't know. It has like a balcony, right? It's so it's so impressive that it has a balcony. Uh, I think that that it should look like this, uh, and not just because uh, the NSA is assholes for spying on us. It's it's uh, it's uh, well, actually, it's dark helmet, not oh, dark. Darth- Dark helmet. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Uh, you can also go to the Spaceballs wiki for all the latest information on Spaceballs if you want. Which, uh, it sounds one. comical, but I think as recently as a year ago, there was a Spaceballs cartoon that was like produced by Mel Brooks, and he did the voice of Yogurt. Oh, wow. You know what? It looks like that is, in fact, on the wiki, and I can learn <laughs> all about it. I was <laughs> shocked that they never did Spaceballs episode one. Right, it seems like oh, such an yeah. obvious thing to do, right? Because like, yeah. the, the, the 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 prequel trilogy is so much more parodable than the um, than the original trilogy. <laughs> I think Mel Brooks is is happy, you know, doing backstrokes in his swimming pool full of money, and uh, I don't know. I hope he is. Yeah, and, and his son is in the zombie business, right? Yeah, his son's in the zombie business. I still feel bad about Anne, Anne Bancroft dying, so I hope he's I hope he's got friends around him. Carl Reiner comes over to visit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read. I forget where I read something. So it's great for the internet because there's no attribution yeah. or source. But um, that yeah, Carl Reiner like comes over to Mel Brooks's house and they you know they get takeout and they watch old movies and stuff. And that's like yeah. how they're spending Tell their stories days. about Zero Mostel. That's oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Imagine but, the day when we can do that. By the way, before we move on, I just wanted to say that the greatest thing about the the bridge of the uh, the the dark helmet ship would be that like if they really needed to. Catch Catch a bad guy. They should just walk over to the wall and pull out like a DVD of like counterterrorism, the movie, and just fast yeah. forward to the yeah. part of the movie where they catch the bad guys and just be like, yeah. "There they are." I thought they were going to comb the internet for search results. Right? Like- <laughs> yeah, or uh, yeah, or- and it would also get work. I, we've talked many times about how we hope that the cast of Police Academy is okay. Yeah. And, oh and yeah. The guy totally. who makes silly noises can finally finally get another job. Entertaining the NSA people. Absolutely. Um, all right, so uh, we're coming up on. Hey, Mark, do you have the Trello board? Could you could you look at that? Um, 
<laughs> yes, I would pull it up in my information dominant center known as my computer. <laughs> my, <laughs> I my, really had the I had the other idea that I wanted it to be all of the sets from the show Frasier. There's just like a different rooms where they all hang out. So like Cafe Nervosa. But no, anyway, is the is the Trello up or do I have to stall while you load your project management no, software? No, no, no. The, the project management software here is is this. So um, we're uh, we're recording this. This is episode 272 that we are recording uh, and that you are listening to, uh, though not at the same time. That would be strange if if we could do that. Though we used to we used to simulcast live. Would you would you watch tweet us or leave a comment if you would watch the the live stream again if we could reinstitute that. Um, I think but, streaming uh, platforms are a bit more stable now, so we might have a better chance at doing it yeah, than we did we, a couple years ago. Well, right. It, yeah. We also got new computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my it wasn't my black MacBook, which God bless it, literally choked. Literally, its its throat literally closed. Um, <laughs> literally uh, on all the flash that had to do with that streaming platform. But um, but uh, this is neither here nor there. Next week we begin a a, a two week celebration. Of the tenth anniversary, <laughs> oh, got ahead of myself there. Of the fifth anniversary of the Overthinking It podcast. Now we celebrated the fifth anniversary of Overthinking It uh, earlier this year, uh, January twenty second, uh, two thousand thirteen, was the fifth uh, anniversary date, and we had a party a little bit after that in New York City. Um, but the podcast was started uh, subsequent to that date, and I actually only count uh, the podcast having started with episode 13, which is the episode in which we went uh, weekly. So there are two ways to, uh, to consider the anniversary of the podcast. One is if you, can, if you say a year is 52 weeks, it's 52 episodes – Multiply 52 by 5 for 5 years, and then add 13 for those early episodes where we weren't going weekly. And that, uh, episode 273, will be next week. That's right, right? Five fifties is 250, plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 is 260, plus 13 is 73. Yes. And then the following week... Um, which uh, we'll record on September 29th, but will be released on September 30th, uh, episode 274. That will mark um, chronologically five years, since that's the episode that's closest, I think, a day from the actual five-year anniversary of the podcast. So we are, uh, we are about to... Um, uh, we're about to... Wow, breaking news... Pete, uh, I've got Pete Fenzel standing by at the Emmy Awards. Hey, man, I'm here at the Emmy Awards, and it's just, it's all, it's craziness over here. It's oh, nuts. Any, have you seen any uh, friends of overthinking it? Perhaps um, people who work in the entertainment industry who have actually been a guest on this very podcast, literally. Yes, well, we'd like to congratulate uh, <laughs> podcast guest, interviewee, and also Ghostbusters 2 co-overviewer, oh, right. uh, uh, Bear McCreary for winning an Emmy Award for his uh, main title theme to Da Vinci's Demons. Uh, that's really exciting, and we're, we're always very, very jazzed when we see him doing awesomer things than we could comprehend doing ourselves out there in the world. So congratulations. I thought you were going to say awesomer things and I don't know, like the theme for Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite, I mean, uh, you know, just while we're in this uh, admiration society here, my favorite is some of the music from Human Target, some of that orchestral old-style 
awesome old-fashioned hero music. That was very cool. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, Bear. Uh, I hope you continue doing great things, continue innovating and pushing forward. I hope you'll come back on the podcast and talk to us, and I hope your quote goes way the hell up, because God knows you deserve it. Hmm. But enough Uh, about him. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about us. So we're uh, going to celebrate the fifth anniversary next week and and the week after. So, you know, we'll do what we do, but uh, if you have particular suggestions or particular listener feedback that you would like um, for the fifth anniversary show, uh, you can, you know, send that to us through the usual channels, which I'll say at the end of the podcast. Guys, how do you feel about having done five years worth of weekly podcasts and never, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't jinx us before we get there, but never having missed a week, having uh, recorded and released a weekly uh, podcast for five years without fail. Uh, we, we've clearly not found anything else better to do with our Sunday evenings. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sad, actually, when you look at it that way. Wait, uh, I, uh, Go ahead. No by, by, b- no, by bringing up this conversation now, does this make this the third fifth anniversary podcast? I suppose. This is the, pre, this is the podcast anniversary pre-party. So we're going to do like two and a fifth anniversary podcast. All right, just to, in all seriousness, there's nothing sad about us not having else better to do because this is the best thing to do <laughs> on a Sunday night. This is awesome. You should yeah. do it more, Matt. Sure. I don't know. What do you think, Pete? Uh, I think that between us and Aaron Paul, I feel like we've accomplished more in the last five years, and uh, <laughs> we're really, we're really excited. No, I, I was just reminiscing about five years ago because 2008 was a really tectonic year. I know we've talked about plate oh, tectonics yeah. a lot, but you know, the September of 2008 was a huge month. I know for me, and I know for everybody, because that was the month of the big financial crisis and the, all of the global economic stuff was happening. And also, Brian Cranston won his first Emmy for Breaking Bad. So I was thinking about how that huh. time feels sort of both very far away and very close. Close in the sense of the kind of understanding of that time is something that seems very much to inform today, at least for me. I don't know if it does for you. Like, more than it has in intermediate times. Um, but I guess that's sort of what reminiscing and anniversaries are all about. And it's, it's just interesting that when I think about that time, when I think about five years ago, and I think about what was happening in the culture then, um, I mean, we all just, right last year, last week, had like, you know, reminiscences across the country for September 11th, which was a time that we kind of all experienced together. And you can talk to other people about what your experiences of September 11th were of 2001. But I feel like September of 2008 was something that people experienced very much alone. <laughs> like if there was anything that you connected with that was happening in September of 2008, you probably couldn't tell anybody about it or nobody understood it or nobody could talk to you about it either. Uh, and so um, I guess the last five years have been somewhat of 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 an Iliad, I suppose. Is it like of the Iliad and the Odyssey? One of them is about going from the individual to the community, and one is about going from the community to the individual, right? And it's like I think the Iliad is is the first one where we sort of roared into September in September of two thousand eight, uh, enraged, right? Like pouting with Patroclus in the corner, mm-hmm. and now we have become part of the the bleeding and trailing edges of our proud country, and and of course part of this proud world, uh, and our whole global fans, and of course you know gotta never forget Belarus, man. We got fans out there. Uh, we're we're making him laugh, which apparently is not something that uh, one does in Belarusia. <laughs> no, it is. Well, I'm glad we have fans in Belarus because in other European countries, and mostly because of our Eurovision videos, we are reviled and hated. 
Well, we've got friends in Poland. we got friends in Belarus and Australia and Iraq. Not Hungary, though. No, no, no. no, no, no Hungary. We're <laughs> hated in Hungary. If five years ago we could have said, hey, guys – this work that we're going to endeavor upon now, it will end with us being reviled in the kingdom of Hungary, the nation, the Republic of Hungary. Uh, I, I think I would. I think that makes me more rather than less excited about doing it. Not that the crown of Saint Stephen isn't something for which I hold great reverence. Uh, so, um, you know, both apologies, but also um, joy at that. I'm state not apologizing of for anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't being know. an overthinker um, means never having to say you're sorry. Well, there you told. go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. We should get those. We should get those t-shirts printed. Yeah, we should. <laughs> okay. So uh, I don't know. Like, we have other things to talk about on the show, but I wanted to go back to the NSA Starship uh, Star- Starship Enterprise Bridge thing for a little bit before we uh, before we totally leave that topic because uh, when we were emailing about it earlier in the uh, writers list and overthinking it, we were talking about how well, obviously horribly ironic it is, particularly with um, regards to Captain Picard and, and his approach to. Um, sacrificing civil liberties in the name of security, right? I think uh, one of the overthinkers literally said Picard would have uh, would have spit upon <laughs> this uh, the, this monstrosity. They said actually he wouldn't have spit upon it. He would have delivered a stern lecture, yeah. right? That would have, he would have um, thrown his hot Earl Grey in the face of the idea. Yeah. Okay. So what we're basically saying is that this is a horribly ironic instance of life imitating art. Would you right? say Would you say it's ironic, unfortunate, or strangely apropos? I, I think it's ironic. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys if you had any other examples of similarly ironic or unfortunate or strangely apropos instances of well, life. I mean, don't art. you find using the using the song "Born in the USA," for example, at like patriotic political rallies, uh, because the chorus purports well, the chorus seems to be about one thing, but the song is about another thing upon closer inspection. Is that an instance of life imitating art, though? Oh, I, I mean, I like, because the art right. of that was like the, you know the story of someone who was uh, you know born down in a dead man's uh, and you know with the first kick he took was when he hit the ground, right? So the political rallies don't actually uh, imitate the events of the song "Born in the Born in the USA." So you're sure. saying unless you fall just, off, unless you fall off the stage or something like that. I mean, this is an important distinction because with the NSA, what we're saying here is not merely that they invoke the Starship Enterprise and the bridge of the Enterprise in making their command center is that they are role-playing being on the Enterprise <laughs> while they're doing on their jobs. Now, not to like a, a degree where they're actually being the characters from it or Ensign Crusher. If they wore the, star, the, the Starfleet uniforms when they're sitting in <laughs> yeah. the command center, I would... Oh, I there's, love it. There's no analog it. for Deanna Troy that works at the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, yeah, because they have no empathy for you. Is that what I you're mean, saying? A, they have yeah. no empathy. B, they got nobody who could pull off that suit. Mm-mm. How do we know that? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess what life imitating art. Any any circumstance where law enforcement, like pre crime, law enforcement officials think they know who's going to commit crimes in the future, therefore they arrest the people that they think are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. gosh, like here's, um, here's one that, that I remember. I think I was watching the Super Bowl one year, and it was it was right when the Iraq War was really heating up. So this is probably you know back like 2003, 2004, and they had sort of a like our good luck to our men and women in uniform, and a montage of like planes taking off from aircraft carriers. And the music that they used was the ride of the Valkyries. Whoa. Which is doubly ironic because, like, A, it's famously used in Apocalypse Now, but the context is like, we're going to go bomb this sort of peaceful village. 
Um, and then number two, you know, the, the Valkyries are, of course, in Norse mythology, the sort of uh, the goddesses who will go and, and, and decide who lives and who dies on the battlefield and escort the slain warriors to Valhalla. So it's not really the cheeriest iconography to associate oh with, like, we're about to launch an aerial assault. That really did that. Who was responsible for that? Was the police somebody? It was some tone deaf network like executive, whoever right? the Fox, you know, sports team is. Maybe, maybe the one where Bjork uh, dressed up as a swan, because Lita and the Swan isn't really a story that Bjork should be imitating on the red carpet of the Grammy Awards or wherever. No, that's no, that's, the, that, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. What doesn't that uh, doesn't that um, make Matthew Barney into Zeus? That would make Bjork into Zeus because Zeus transforms into the swan. Oh, right. right. Like, oh, but maybe she's more of a swan lake kind of situation. Because that's interesting because transforming into a swan, you know, mythologically and sort of in the canon of various literatures is both a masculine and feminine act. Uh-huh. Right? And it's, it's one that's sort of self-violating as well as other violating, like depending upon which one you want to interpret it as, right? There's a whole thing with Black Swan and Swan Lake where the girl turning into a swan is kind of – self-destructive and then there's Leda and the swan and the Yates poem about the swan we're turning into the swan is sort of other disruptive uh this sort of impre- imposing upon someone else with a coercive beauty is something that is uh is a bad thing because you know being surrounded by these feathers and whatnot is a is a powerful symbol of of loss of will and loss of control and personal violation um so I guess that's a bad thing to bring up just in general in the podcast and I shouldn't have mentioned it in the first place <laughs> uh but yeah it's tough it's really hard to think of situations I mean I guess what like um, like when your car talks to you, like Siri, is Siri a good example of life imitating art? Is Siri Ziggy from Quantum Leap? Um, and they made, did they make Siri sort of feminine and sophisticated specifically because Ziggy was like spunky and didn't have an audible voice, but was like beeps and blops and like robotty? Um, like is that, is it maybe, the more I think about it, more be, is, is the fact, is Siri the way that she is because other more obvious ways of framing the talking intelligence on an iPhone or the search engine or whatever it is, like were already taken by other fictional properties that they didn't want well, to copy? I'll, I'll give two reasons. One is that they didn't want to, uh, remind people too much of HAL 9000 from 2001, the famous okay. talking computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more sort of mundane reason why it's a female voice is because it's a higher frequency. It cuts through uh, sort of the, the normal frequencies of this, of your surroundings better than a male voice. Uh, I got you because it has fewer overtones due to being higher, and thus is sort of more clarion and easier it, to hear. Uh, it just cuts through the the, the mucky muck, right? Okay. Yeah, it, it cuts through the sort of low low bass baritone rumble of. But in a discursive way, to unpack that a little bit more, in a discursive way, isn't Siri deliberately trying like the and Apple planners deliberately making Siri not like. HAL 9000 from Space Odyssey actually making Siri more like HAL 9000 from a Space Odyssey because by his conspicuous absence, he's invoked, right? It's like, oh, like, you know, we're, we're, we're really trying to it's, – it's like, it's like doing things like this kind of creates a wily coyote-shaped hole in a brick wall, right, where it's like trying to avoid it and avoid it and avoid it. Like when you listen to a young Jeezy song and every time he talks about drugs or guns, there's silence. It, it makes because they bleep it out, right? In the radio edits, it feel it feels like to me that makes the song more about drugs and guns than it is when it's not bleeped, sure. right? Like it's 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 like the, the the absence is something that is powerfully noticed. But that's uh, I mean that's that's a uh, that's an old thing that's that's as old as America and older still. I mean that's ye olde Puritan dodge, right? Yeah, that's yeah, like. Such- you know, talking about talking about uh, how much we don't like sex is a pretext for talking about sex all the time. Right, right, right. Exactly. 
So, all right. So I guess, I guess that's that. <laughs> that answers that question. Oh man. I mean, yeah. Life, uh, uh, life imitating art. Yeah. There's one, I'm, I'm, I'm Googling for examples on the internet. I'm not going to claim I just thought of this, but there is a, a, one of my favorite Sylvester Stallone movies, Demolition Man, which he goes mm-hmm. up against Wesley Snipes in a, uh, and it's sort of a I, I don't know if it counts as a dystopia. I guess it's a dystopia. Um, anyway, oh yeah, totally. I mean, the, so, the franchise wars, the horrible franchise yes, wars. Yes, in which all restaurants except for Taco Bell have been wiped <laughs> out. So if you want to like go out for like a nice like a formal state dinner, you have to go to Taco Bell. Um, but then the, the the idea is that one of the one of the many pieces of future shock uh, Sylvester Stallone receives is the knowledge that Arnold Schwarzenegger has been elected president. Uh, mm-hmm. While he's been in cryosleep, and of course that hasn't happened in real life, but it's it's not quite the joke that it was in the early nineties. Yeah, he was oh, yeah. he was starting speeches in my home state of California by saying, you know, thank you for. No, he doesn't sound like that at all. That's a terrible accent. Rather does <laughs> that rather does a terrible accent. Drink. Thank you for changing the constitution and making me president of the United States. You know, uh, now you're just like the action dude from The Simpsons. And who now actually he, becomes president of the United States. I am McBain. McBain, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and and then he he would say, "Oh, sorry, wrong speech." <laughs> you know, and that's uh, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> that's perhaps a little crass, but uh, you know, we're not known for subtlety, I guess, in uh, out there on the hey, bleeding edge. Hey, speaking of crassness and lack of subtlety, uh-huh. should we uh, yeah. talk about our, um, our, our favorite video games? Now that, it's time, yeah, now that it's time to wrap up, we should we should get to the topic. Um, <laughs> the, we have a little uh, time yet. I was going. Yet. I was going to. I was going to say. Speaking of nostalgia, uh, back when that, we were yeah. talking about when we were talking about nostalgia, because this is a a video game franchise that I have fond memories of watching other people play. <laughs> For uh, more than a decade now. So I guess this week we're going to see the release of the new Grand Theft Auto game, which is number yes. five. Yeah? Well, it's sort of number five, but then there was the, I believe San Andreas and Vice City weren't part of the numbered series. Yeah, there, oh, but there have been a whole bunch. So like I think, I think you, there have been seven or eight. Really. Yeah, well, plus there's been ones for DS, too, like right, Liberty or, or City. There's been ones yeah. for iPhone. That you can, yeah. Right, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this is the, you know, in the canonical, according to Hoyle, you know, numbering, uh, they're calling this number five. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like windows seven. Don't, don't try to count. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting because I noticed that another video game series does this, which is, uh, Assassin's Creed where they had, what is it? They had an Assassin's Creed, uh, two, and then they did Assassin's Creed brotherhood and then Assassin's Creed revelations. And then they did Assassin's Creed three, which I think is a, a canny move because it sort of says like, okay, as big and important as those last two games were, as, as much as we spent years doing them, this is much more important. This is, fundamental to the series in a way that the other games weren't and it would seem at first glance that this is something unique to video games but i was reading the other day about star wars and about the the disney's plan of what they're going to do with the the series uh the franchise and they're they're obviously working on star wars episode 7 out in 2015 um, and then they're going to have uh, episode eight and nine, I sp- a space two or three years apart. But in between those movies, they're planning to do other Star Wars movies, which will be Star Wars colon, you know, Han Solo Origins or like Star Wars Chronicles, like Yoda's Big Adventure. I almost thought you said, I, I, I misheard. I thought you said Han, Han Solo Orgies. Oh, my God. That's, you know, we can only hope. 
but that's, that's got to be one of the short <laughs> that, 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 That's a new hope right there. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think one of the most flagrant examples of this is the Street Fighter series, because I'm, try, I'm trying to look to see. So I'm, I'm going to try to read through this Wikipedia article quickly just to hit all of the different Street Fighter games. <laughs> so there's Street Fighter, there's Street Fighter 2, the World Warrior, there's Street Fighter 2 uh, Champion Edition, Street Fighter 2 Hyper Fighting, Street Fighter 2 The New Challengers, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, Street Hyper Street Fighter 2 The Anniversary Edition, <laughs> Street Fighter Anniversary Collection, <laughs> Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. Yes. Uh, uh, and then it goes to Street Fighter <laughs> Alpha, <laughs> War- Warrior Streams, Street Fighter uh, Street Fighter 2 The Animated Movie, that's a movie, that's not a video game, Street Fighter Alpha 2, Street Fighter Alpha 3, Street Fighter 3 Second Impact, uh, Street Fighter EX, Street Fighter EX2, Street Fighter EX3, <laughs> Street Fighter X Tekken, Tekken X Street Fighter, um, all the Capcom versus SNK games. Uh, oh, what is this? So, so Tekken X Street, Street Fighter 3, The New Generation, Street Fighter 3, Second Impact, Street Fighter 3, Third Strike, and then finally in 2008, Street Fighter 4. I mean, it's, <laughs> Which is, it's a long-running joke at this point, right? Like, oh. like for a while, people were like, oh, like what is it? A Capcom can't count past two. Yeah. Right, when they kept making the colonized versions of Street Fighter 2. But at some point, Capcom had to be, realize that they were in on the joke, right? Oh, yeah, I got to. Well, you know what? Just just back in July at the at the Evolution Championship Series, they announced Ultra Street Fighter 4, yes. which followed Super Street Fighter 4 3D Edition for the 3DS. Oh, oh it's ridiculous. Wait, it's- Super Street Fighter 4 3D Edition? Yes, that is nice. a Nintendo DS game, 3DS game. Uh, we can do Street Fighter, all sorts of Street Fighter stuff. But I do sort of like this idea that like not all video games are equal in importance to the franchise, and that you could indicate that by being like, when you advance a number, there's got to be. So- it's almost like you know the the uh, the fractional releases of software, right? That like you basically had Street Fighter two, and then Street Fighter two point one, Street Fighter two point two, and then you're like, you know what, brand new operating system for Street Fighter, and that's Street Fighter. 3. But is that, is that the case for Grand Theft Auto though? Because like Grand Theft Auto, uh, no. San Andreas. And yeah, Vice City, those, those are like proper, games. total separate games with separate environments and whatnot. But, but, well, they, they feel somewhat similar to Grand Theft Auto Three in the engine and scope, and like the way that this physics work and the size and shape of your character and all that stuff, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, Matt. What do you think? You were about to say something. I, mean, I think it may have been that uh, Grand Theft Auto Four was the first one for the next generation, believe it or not, which just goes to show how long these games are spaced out. I mean, I seem to recall that that Vice City and San Andreas were for the PlayStation Two. Yes, and then and then they finally. So in a way, I mean, I do think that it's not like they didn't put a lot of effort into those games, but this is one of their sort of marketing ways of signaling that this is a, a significant break with the sort of tech of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know the fact that this is this is Grand Theft Auto Five indicates that like we've we've rebuilt everything from the ground up, and this is like you know it's, it's, it's sort of a way of, of them signaling how much effort went into the software, you know. And of course, like we don't we don't know for a fact, but. I mean, all the Grand Theft Auto releases are like space three years apart, and they always have a cast of thousands. And wait, Liberty City and Vice City, uh, or no, San Andreas and Vice City, didn't those follow pretty pretty quickly? Yeah, know, Grand Theft Auto three, uh, two thousand one. Vice City was uh, two thousand two, oh, and then San Andreas two thousand four. So there was a world. Uh, all right, so they did they did kind of use the same engine. Reskin a bunch of things, and then it was a four-year break before Grand Theft Auto Four, and yeah. now it's a five-year break from two thousand and eight 
to now 2014. So yeah. literally, the team has probably been working on this to some extent for the last like five years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're talking about sort of great advances that they're making in these games. And Blinky, you're talking about one of these key great advances in this game uh, that we've never seen before. This is the, about the, the the movie watching, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Tell us oh, about this. I, I can't. I mean, you know, I'm sort of paraphrasing something that I read online, but apparently there are going to be movie theaters in the game. And there will be some ability to, like, either you could walk into a movie theater and, like, sit in the audience and watch a movie on the screen from your own collection. Or the rumor is that the, the sort of the studio behind Grand Theft Auto will actually license movies, like fairly recent films, to show within the game. And so you can walk in the movie theater and, and watch, you know, a, a, rotating, um, a rotating stable of films. And I know it's like, why would you sit within a video game environment and watch a movie? But it's like, I, uh, you know, you could be playing. Because you play. can, I think. Yeah, is I mean, A is because you can. And B is like, I definitely remember like sitting in my fake apartment in, in uh, Grand Theft Auto and like watching Ricky Gervais perform stand-up on my fake TV. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That totally existed. I forgot about that. Oh my gosh! So my my um, initial reaction hearing that you could watch real movies in uh, Grand Theft Auto Five and that there's some sort of like you know synergistic marketing tie-in for these movies was one of disappointment because one of the great things about Grand Theft Auto is like the the, the parodying that it does of consumer culture uh, mm-hmm. and like of actual products in real life, right? Uh, like like the fruit phone I think is one popular thing, and then all the commercials that they air. Uh, when you're when you're driving around and listening to the radio, Th- those to me were like just like the, the the great little things that just like reminded you of the edginess uh, of the game itself, right? That this is something that you are meant to think of as outside of the mainstream, even though this is one of the most mainstream games you could possibly buy. Right? Oh, I think I think this is worth unpacking a little bit too, because well, think about it in this way, because I do think that you're hitting the nail on the head by saying that Grand Theft Auto is being is a satirical series, right? I mean, there's a lot of it's very easy to identify Grand Theft Auto as being about kind of rampant violence and bad behavior and yeah, all this let's other not stuff. The shock value of it too, like now nowadays, like we're just sort of used to the modus operandi of Grand Theft Auto, where you shoot people and you sleep with prostitutes and whatnot. But when it first came out with Grand Theft Auto three when you could first do that people were just like shocked right there was just like yeah that it gave you the ability to it didn't you know with some exceptions like uh, i'm thinking of kill all the haitians being a controversial <laughs> yeah, but, one which could have been could have been better organized or that could have been executed better yeah, but yeah um, but yeah. like in general it's like the game is not like telling you to kill that prostitute but it does give you the option to and in fact you know to be fair the game incentivizes you to do it because the prostitute has money, and if you kill the <laughs> prostitute, you get the money, and nothing really bad will happen to you. Yeah. There, there'll be no uh, karmic repercussions. Yeah, I mean, this is, by the way, like Jordan Stokes, I think, wrote an entire article on this subject, basically saying that Grand Theft Auto is the most moral game you could possibly play because it gives you the choice of not killing the prostitute to take the yeah, money. Yeah, like Mario is never like faced with the reality of potentially murdering Luigi, right? Like it's like <laughs> never gets the option. It's never like it's like every day when you wake up, it's like, would you like to murder Luigi? Would you like to murder? No, I don't want to murder Luigi. And it's like you wake up and like you're the again you're the little spoon, you're the jetpack on Luigi, and you get up, you roll out of bed, and it's like Mario. Would you like to kill your brother? No, I don't want to kill my brother. Like I, I go eat in the pizza. I go to the. I go buy a new hat. Yeah. <laughs> go go to uh, go do a car race in my little go kart. Um, <laughs> I mean, but we remember the time, right, when um, Grand Th- when we first played Grand Theft Auto, heard about Grand Theft Auto, or played about it, and experienced the shock value of it all, right? Just like mowing down pedestrians and you know, doing various things with prostitutes, right? That, that, that at, at one point, that was just like 
gleeful, subversive, shocking, all these things, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that this does tie back into the way in which it's satirical. Um, I just had a thought where the, the, the world of Grand Theft Auto is elaborate and, and programmed, right? There's many, many things that are in Grand Theft Auto that make it a little bit more like the complexity of the real world that we encounter, but it's not the complexity of our own personal experiences. It's institutional, right? It's the world of driving in cars. It's the world of going to stores. It's the world of participating in social institutions that have been set up by people and that are really pervasive and saturating in like urban and suburban environments. And so it's, it's important that it's not your own personal experience. It's not like you walking out in a field and looking up at the clouds and like letting your mind dance over the endless fancy or whatever, like Percy Shelley would say about it, right? It's like there's a, there's a very contemporary, oh, constructed world. And then in Grand Theft Auto, you get to do all these forbidden things in this world, which demonstrate that you can destroy it, right? Like you can destroy the, the institutions around you aren't natural in the sense of like, they don't exist by sort of natural right or ultimate decree, right? They exist due to consensus. They exist because people buy into them. And there's a lesson about individuation and about, um, the kind of like, uh, I mean, I guess about personal frustration, but it might be particularly helpful or helpful and empower, not empowering. Gosh, helpful and empowering is perhaps too much, but analogous to the experience of teenagers looking to individuate from their parents in the sense that you get to recognize, oh, you know, there's a funny, liberating feeling in blowing up this traffic light by driving a bunch of trucks into it. Because sometimes when I go past a traffic light, which I was taught as a child to respect like some sort of demigod, right? Like I wonder now as an adult whether this like this, this reverence for this traffic light is something that's real or it's something I've been taught. And I feel like the, the, uh, the satire in the Grand Theft Auto series of brands and consumerism is related to the way that it kind of pulls back the curtain, particularly on like, uh, traffic and vehicles and buildings, <laughs> right? Where it's like, these are things that people made. These are not things that you need to worship, right? That you need to like hold sacrosanct. Um, now, of course, you shouldn't be, be going around killing people, right? Like, and you shouldn't be going around blowing up trains, uh, traffic lights. But the reason that you shouldn't be driving trucks into one another or the reasons why you shouldn't be shooting people in public parks is not because – it's you know it's it's been decreed that it is ultimately bad and you should not do it because you should not do it like you should hopefully mature morally and recognize that you shouldn't do it because it hurts you and the people around you right like it's um well i mean we- if we're really talking about what the morality of the grand theft auto preaches the reason why you shouldn't go on a killing spree is because once you get enough stars then the national guard comes after you <laughs> right and then you die and then like you lose a, i don't know you lose some money you lose a portion of your progress you lose all the ammo that you spend shooting at the cops. Like, you will never win that battle. Well, but right. You know what I think is interesting about Grand Theft Auto is that a lot of other games that have a similar structure that allows choice, um, your choices have an impact on how people treat you within the game, uh, what kind of an ending you could get. And so that you'll make a decision that, like, oh, I'm either going to play as, like, a paragon or I'm going to play as, like, a rogue. And, you know, you, you decide ahead of time. And, like, killing pedestrians isn't something you want to do because then people will flee from you everywhere you go and you won't be able to access certain types of missions. Um, but in Grand Theft Auto, your actions really don't have any permanence, at least, in, you know, I don't know about this current game. But it's the kind of thing where you could kill like a hundred people in a massive killing spree, running them over with your car, shooting bazookas, taking out the cops in massive numbers. And when they catch you or shoot you, all that's going to happen is they're going to 
patch you up and let you out of the uh, the hospital, the hospital yeah. and take away your weapons. And I don't even know if that's the case anymore. I think they, they I, I may have read somewhere that they no longer take away your weapons because people were annoyed by that. <laughs> so they really, it seems like the people making this game, they want to make it as consequence-free as possible for you to do horrible things. I mean, the worst that's going to happen is people will attack and kill you. And even that really doesn't set you back that much. Right. Although I do kind of feel that having a predetermined morality track um, somehow, I find it kind of dehumanizes the games a little bit. Like well, first a Mass of all, Effect or something where, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what game was I playing recently? Oh, like Fallout. I was playing it in Fallout New right. Vegas, right? Which has, like, it has both the sort of how complete are you in the game versus how good or how bad you are. And one of the bad things, I think, about pre-planned morality tracks is they really really uh, incentivize you to be either very, very good or very, very bad. Exactly. So in order to maximize, yeah, in order to maximize the effects that you see. Yeah, in order you to either maximize want to be like the you. worst person ever, yeah. or you want to be like the greatest hero the world has ever known. Right. And, and, and if you end up in the middle, you actually lose out on like, like a lot of the game's contents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you just and fail to unlock the things that either a good guy or a bad guy would have access to. But but the reason that we one of the reasons that we might want to have these free roaming uh, experiences in the game is because these sorts of tracks don't exist in reality, and we can confirm by playing this simulation and, and sort of laughing at it and recognizing some of the hidden truths of it, you know, that there aren't pre that pre planned morality tracks of this neat nature and tidy nature that you know it's like it's not like oh if I'm not the worst possible person I can be I'm failing at life right it's more like uh, you know. <laughs> I, you know, I have to build my day moment by moment, <laughs> and, and, and I could drive into a tree or I could not. And it's just dealing with that sort of staggering Kierkegaardian freedom that can be so terrifying, right, when you, when you confront it. And confronting it in a kind of a tongue-in-cheek way where things don't really have consequences and you can kind of be happy about it. Of course, that's, like, very apologetic. I mean, very kind to Graham Sethal by saying all these things and giving it this, like, highfalutin concept when it probably doesn't happen. But I will say that I prefer when you can do both good and bad things. Another, here's another example. Um, L.A. Noir. You guys, have, you guys play L.A. Noir? Yeah. Yeah. So L.A. Noir looks and feels a lot like a Grand Theft Auto game at times in that, like, you have to go from walking around in the 3D world to getting in the car to driving to the place. And, like, when you're yeah. in the car, you can get missions and stuff. But other than that, you can do nothing. Right? Like, there's, like, yeah. no content in the world. It's the illusion of freedom, but there's actually nothing. Right. There, there's yeah. nothing to wander around and find. Yeah. And I thought that, I mean, at the time, it's frustrating. But I think it actually, in retrospect, thinking about it, it's kind of cool because the detective in L.A. Noir really doesn't have freedom to do what they want to do. He's on the right? job. Like, he gets a call. He's got to go. Exactly. Like when you're a police officer, you yourself are part of the institution. Like you're, you're, you're not even the protagonist of the game if you're the cops. Right? You're not the protagonist of a, free ro- of a free-roaming game if you're a police officer because you are creating the institutional world that others are trying to rebel against by throwing tanks off of skyscrapers. You're like, it's like, like you're playing a non-player character. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Whereas, like, the ultimate player character is, like, Saints Row, where you're like, hey, I'm going to do insurance fraud missions. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, or I jump in front of cars. For, and they're like, I'm going to go streaking for money. Um, have you played any of the Saints Row games, Pete? I did. I, I played Saints Row the Third for a couple weeks. I rented it, and I checked did, it out. Uh, obviously, it's interesting because there, there was a Saints Row game that came out very recently. Saints yep. Row sort of started as a parody of Grand Theft Auto. I feel like I haven't played the recent games, but it's become sort of a parody of video games in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it is interesting because it's probably not a complete coincidence that they sort of timed it, the, the new Saints Row to come out around the same time as the, the new Grand Theft Auto. 
Oh, probably not. I mean, I don't know. It also has to do with like the late cycle of the current generation of video game consoles. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that these things do come in waves. I mean, we were talking about before how sort of like five years ago feels sort of similar to today. So maybe like, you know, there's these, maybe there's, maybe Orion is in the eighth house or something. Maybe there's like an, an astrological reason why these mm. games come out at the same time. Fair mm. Well, one thing is, obviously we haven't played the game yet. It comes out on Tuesday. But one yeah. thing that we know about it is that it, it's the first Grand Theft Auto game that doesn't focus on a single protagonist. That doesn't put you in the shoes of, of only one person. Um, and the idea is that you have it, you're it basically, it's taken a cue from Ocean's Eleven and that you're a team of three people and that a lot of the missions uh, are things that can only be accomplished by completing different things sort of simultaneously. And there's actually, uh, so for instance, somebody has to be in a helicopter shooting down at a building, somebody has to go inside the building, somebody else is driving a getaway car outside the building. Um, and there's actually a mechanism for switching back and forth between these three people, and they, they function independently to some extent, but you need to keep all the balls in the air to pull off this sort of a... And I think it's, it's interesting. That, I mean, I think it's... First of all, it's great that they're not just doing the same thing as in the previous Grand Theft Autos. I mean, I think that it's good to sort of expand, not be afraid to try something new just because the last Grand Theft Auto was a big seller and you feel like you're a slave to your own success. But also, I, I don't know, what do you think it says that it's no longer about the sort of lone badass who goes in and, and smashes and grabs and it steals his own car? Oh, yeah, no, it takes a village to punch a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's... I think it's well, it reminds me of Maniac Mansion as the sort right. of original, right? Where, where these like, three characters... And you move them around the mansion. They have to go in different places and do different things. Yeah. Um, Don't drain the swimming pool for too long. You can drain yeah. it for like two minutes, but no longer. Um, I mean, I think uh, it shows us there, there's, a, there's a social problem that I think is associated with this, which is I think people are becoming more aware of the imperialism of the protagonist. Right of like the sort of oppressiveness of having one hero in a, a culture where you're trying to to if you want to be altruistic about it you could say like embrace a diverse body politic but if you want to be like more commercially crass bourgeois and honest about it you could say target multiple market segments <laughs> right because like, <laughs> um, like I'm guessing like one of the guys is older than one of the other people is are the three people all men are they all They're like all white men. dudes I mean, one black guy I think it's somewhat guy. of a I mean I definitely remember reading something on a feminist blog about how like isn't it time for there to be a single playable woman and a grand theft after like eight games or something um so it's i mean it's probably not you know a complete coincidence that they they're choosing three protagonists that happen to be all men right 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 so i don't know i mean it, but it's it's definitely like is one one's older one's younger one's black so yeah. it's like i mean i don't know it's it's i, I feel like it, are you trying to make the game about too many things at once um, would it be nice to make three different games? I guess it's cool to position them in different places. Are they trying to encourage people to play co-op where they go online and play the different characters simultaneously from their own homes? Is it like a form of multiplayer? I, part of, I mean, I think to yeah. some extent it's just simply after the Grand Theft Auto missions have not really changed significantly since Grand Theft Auto 3. To some yeah. extent it's like you go here, you get into a chase with this guy, you've got to like damage his car, then you get out and you like are in a, a battle with him, you grab something, then you have to escape, you get an automatic three-star wanted level, you have to get back to a safe house, mission accomplished. That's a, a Grand Theft Auto mission, you know, 10 years ago, and it's a Grand Theft Auto mission in the most recent game. And I think, you know, maybe just the people who designed the game were getting a little bored and wanted to be able to up the stakes with like, now you have to do... You have to do a few different kinds of things at once, and you have to do them all correctly 
to sort of yeah. pull off this this cool little uh, convergence. So what yeah. I'm really hoping for in this game is that they take advantage of the fact that there are these three main characters and introduce a lot of conflict in between them. And like like putting you as a player in a very difficult situation where like you know you take on the persona of these three different people and you are rooting for all of them ostensibly and then at some point then like you know they they start to turn on each other and you have to start making decisions yeah, on this. You, the other interesting thing I want to see also is that if um, they uh, introduce this thing where one person remembers an event in a very different way. Than actually happens, which happens all the time in real life, by the way, but which would be totally different and unique in a video game because um, when one character says, "Hey, like I remember that time where you totally shot that guy," and like, "No," and the other guy's like, "No, I didn't shoot that guy. It was the other guy that shot the yeah. guy." Like, I, I, I really hope that this this game sort of takes that interesting storytelling leap because that's something that's not possible at all in a non-interactive entertainment format. Grand Theft Auto and- Rashomon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would be very cool, like a heist gone bad, where you have to play through the heist three times, and each time it looks like the other two guys are screwing you over. But oh, it's, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. That was kind of fun. And then, like, you, when you play through it, it, when you play as the second guy or the third guy, you can even space them out over the course of the game as, like, reveals. And then when you play, finally play as the third guy, it becomes apparent, like, why these people were acting in such a strange way. Like, there's another person at the bank. There's, like, another team of heisters that the first character couldn't see or something like that. Um, I don't know. That, that could be a very cool thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the video games that we found most interesting recently uh, sort of play with this idea that, like, you're, you're trained to consider your protagonist, the guy that you're playing, as being this reliable narrator, for lack of a better word. And so you think of something, and we've, we've written about this and we're thinking about, like, Shadow of the Colossus, in which mm-hmm. it turns out that, like, maybe killing all these Colossuses is not all that's cracked up to be, or even uh, something like Bioshock. Um, and just sort of like putting the player's actions in a uh, reframing them uh, later in the game, and I, I feel like it it would be very interesting if Grand Theft Auto took that route as well, and and, and sort of like made the player think about what they've been doing through the last like thirty missions, ten years, yeah, yeah. what they've been yeah. doing for the last ten plus like, years, like like at the end of Luigi's Mansion when Luigi realizes that he murdered Mario and has been searching for his ghost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how you feel about. <laughs> about what we on this podcast have been doing for the last five years. But if you'd like to uh, let us know, you can email us at podcastatoverthinkingant.com or call 203-285-6401. Or you call. can just jetpack with us. Right. We, yeah. <laughs> Actually, Belinky is jetpacking me right now. You know, that's it. Um, he, uh, uh, because he's sitting right here on my, re- well, lying, reclining. We actually, to get really close on the microphone, we all three lay down on the bed sideways. We care about our art. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah, fifth anniversary for the next two weeks. Um, and uh, Ender's Game is still coming up. Uh, Breaking Bad recaps continue unabated. Uh, Pete, you got one for tomorrow? Yeah, well, I mean, I gotta, I still gotta watch the episode, but we're definitely doing one tomorrow. Have you caught up, Matt? Are you, are you up to speed? I'm, not, or I'm, gonna be, like- I'm gonna be with you for the last two because of work schedules and things. Okay. Uh, so we'll be back another next week with uh, another Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Crazy taxi! <laughs> <laughs>
I thought it was going to be, I was going to do something along the lines, I couldn't even remember it, but I was going to do something along the like, you are worried that somebody's going to come and knock on this door, and is going to cause, and cause trouble for us, I want to let you know, who do you think that you are talking to? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Mario, I'm, a Mario. I'm, I'm the, the one, one who knocks. Who knocks. <laughs>